a look at college football news, analysis, and insight from around the Sunshine State. This is Florida Football Insiders, a part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. And here's your host, Jason Powers. Welcome back to the Florida Football Insiders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers, down here in Tampa, Florida. Well, 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 what a week one of the college football season here in the state of Florida. We were the center of the college football world with some wild finishes with the Florida-Utah finish late Saturday night, followed by the even wilder finish between LSU and FSU in New Orleans on Sunday night. So we got a lot to talk about, coaching decisions, good play, poor play, special teams, blunders, and so much more. We're going to pre we're also going to preview games coming up this week. Florida opens in their SEC schedule. Central Florida is going to be hosting Louisville in a nice uh, uh, AAC uh, ACC battle in Orlando. Uh, before we get to we got a great again, great guest for you. We got the coach and the kicker segment with myself and coach head former head football coach at USF Jim Levitt. He's going to break down all the coaching moves. Why did coaches do this? Why did they not do that? Do you go for two in LSU? Blunder special teams-wise. What is Norvell doing with the pitch play? We talk about it all with Coach Coach Levitt in our kicker in the the coach and the kicker segment. We're also going to talk to Matt Merchell from the Orlando Sentinel. He was in New Orleans to break down FSU LSU. Kevin Brockway from the Gainesville Sun was in the swamp Saturday night, Utah, Florida. And we're also going to talk to John Hale from Lexington, Kentucky. He covers the Kentucky Wildcats. We're going to do a quick uh, overview of Kentucky as they come to Gainesville for the SEC opener. So lots to talk about, lots of things to discuss. Quick summary of the scores. UCF rolls on Thursday night, 56-10. Miami wins big Saturday against Bethune-Cookman, 70-13. BYU thumps USF. Uh, FAU FAU loses a tough road game at Ohio, 41-38. FIU beats Division II Bryant, 38-37 in overtime. It's a win, but that ain't a good sign for the the Panthers. And obviously, we're going to talk in depth about the Florida, Utah, and the FSU, LSU finishes on Saturday night. So lots to talk about. Enjoy the podcast. Remember, subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast, as well as we are part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Nine different podcasts from around the country. All things college football, SEC, ACC, Louisiana, Florida, Pac-12, Pac, you know, Big Ten, Big Twelve. So we got it covered all over the country. Some with some great uh, podcasters, reporters, writers that are going to be breaking it down from all over the country. Uh, Notre Dame as well as well as the Service Academies. And remember. The Florida Football Insiders is presented to you by Beefo Brady's here in Tampa, the Bush Bu- the Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue location, located in Forest Hills, right there in right on the corner of uh, Himes and Bush, right there in Forest Hills, Carrollwood, as well as Hank's Barbecue, Northdale Mabry, and Home Slice Pizza, which is also at the corner of Bush and Himes here in the Tampa Bay area. So they're going to be with us all year. We appreciate their partnership, and they're going to be sponsoring our uh, this podcast as well as the Powers on Sports podcast and the No Quarter Given podcast. If you're a National Football League Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan, No Quarter Given is all about the Bucks. 
powers on sports focuses on all things kind of the whatever the, the, the topics of the day with the National Football League starting, college football. We're going to have interviews, guests. We'll talk Major League Baseball playoffs, U.S. Open, all that good stuff on the Powers on Sports podcast. So enjoy Florida Football Insiders and enjoy Coach Levitt coming up next. All right, welcome in to the Coach and the Kicker segment, the week one of edition. No more week zero, Coach. We're all in with week one. Everybody's been on the field. And, boy, did we have some wild finishes here in the state of Florida, Coach. Have a good – how was your weekend, Coach? Guys, uh, it's it's, uh, it's good. And uh, happy uh, Labor Day to you and everybody else out there. Uh, we nice. live in a great country. We're very fortunate. That's right. That's right. This is probably one of the few Labor Days you haven't had to work, Coach, over the years. <laughs> you know what? I didn't even think about that, but you're right. It's it's probably been, oh my gosh, I don't know, maybe 40 years, something like that, and counting. It's been a long time. There you go. Speaking of that, I want to, before we get to the games on the field, which we got some wild ones to talk about from, from New Orleans to Gainesville to Tampa here and all around the state, so... Talk to me about – I was doing a little research on you. I did not – for some reason, I did not realize you were from the Tampa Bay area. You were a, oh. you were a star player at Dixie Holland High School <laughs> or in St. Pete. I had uh, no idea. I don't know if that's all true. I was, I was a quarterback at uh, Dixie Holland High School and was getting recruited by everybody. And then uh, we played Sarasota Riverview, and I threw four interceptions and <laughs> got letters from nobody. Everybody said good luck. <laughs> So, so it wasn't surprising when I went to Missouri that they moved me to safety right away. <laughs> now, uh, you got, did you guys run a kind of an option offense back in the day? Uh, it was kind of a, a run and shoot where really? I just kind of sprinted out and I either ran or I shot the ball out there somewhere. You know, hopefully the right team. Obviously, in Riverview game, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> how did you end up going? I mean, honestly, how did you end up making the decision to go to Missouri as opposed to other places well you know I like I said I was a lot of people were recruiting me and then and when that happened a lot of teams fell off and the state of Florida wasn't recruited like it is you know like the last number of years certainly and uh I had an offer to go to Dartmouth okay. and Naval Academy and okay. there's gonna be George Welsh was a head coach at Naval Academy and I thought about that my brother went to Air Force Academy but I just um you know, when Missouri, I didn't know Missouri was in the big eight in those yeah. days. And, uh, you know, it was, I wanted to go to the very best school I could. So that's where I went. George Welch, if you, fans out there don't remember, George Welch had a great career at Navy. Then he went on to Virginia and had a really good coaching career at Virginia. If you, I actually was just watching a documentary the other day about the, uh, the 1990 Virginia and Georgia Tech when they were both number one and two in the country vying for a national championship. So George Welch, that was the, uh, he's a, very, very good football coach. All right, let's get onto the field. We had some wild, wild finishes. No wilder than last night in New Orleans. Florida State 24, LSU 23. You know, LSU, Florida State, give them credit. They played really well for about 50, 58 minutes of that game. And then the last two minutes got super crazy and super wild. Let's start at the end there. What is what is Mike Norvell thinking on the one yard line to run a to, a, a toss play as opposed to a handoff or a quarterback draw or something where there's where you eliminate the probability of a mishandled ball like that? Well, yeah, I you know I mean I'm sure you're not thinking about those things you know and uh, the pitch was 
I, if I, you know, I saw the play, I'd have to go back and look at it again. That just got through the hands of the running back and, or he got it and got in there and fumbled the ball, gave, um, gave LSU a chance. Uh, no question. Cause the game could have been over there. And then what a great job LSU did, you know, the quarterback. And when I was at Oregon, I recruited that quarterback. Yeah. He a, a really good guy. I really liked him. I liked him a lot. He's from Vegas area. And I didn't even realize he had transferred to LSU from Arizona state. Jayden and of course Daniels, I know Herm Edwards really yep. well. And Jaden Daniels. Yeah. And, uh, what a great job they did with very little time going all the way down yep. the field, uh, you know, to, to score and then to have the extra point blocked. You know, it was a uh, – I think it was a tight end or the whoever they used as that wing uh, on the left side of the extra point team. Those guys are, are taught to take two. They're supposed to stab hard with their inside hand, make sure there's no penetration inside. Right. And then – then, you know, step out real hard to try to get something on the hip of the outside rusher, thinking that the outside rusher's angle is too wide to be able to get to the block point. Right. But what happened was either probably the left tackle didn't get thick and wide enough, you know, to, to you know, have a smaller space there. And certainly the wing or whoever they use that wing, usually a tight end, uh, didn't get inside hand uh, on that, uh, on that uh, defender. And he got through the crease and, and blocked the blocked the kick. And that wasn't just the first one; that was the second block kick. They had a field goal blocked earlier in the game. Almost, I want I don't. I think it was the same part of the for, of the formation. The left tackle, left you know, the wing guy, left tackle, where it was blocked from the on the first short field goal earlier in the game. And a Kelly and Kelly said after the game that he had made a personnel change and replaced the left tackle. And the same situation happens the second time. Yeah, it's always hard. That that little area is pretty hard. A lot of people, you know, if they if they strengthen that area, you know, everybody that's why everybody tries to put three people on the guard and try to get push, you know, up inside. But they did a great job, and uh, the special team coordinator for Florida State uh, deserves some credit. Yeah, uh, for seeing that being vulnerable, even though it's the first game and they don't have LSU film. Uh, I don't know. It, it, they uh, they did a good job there, and then LSU also dropped two punts. That was the exa- I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's I mean, the the whole game was a special. I mean, Florida State missed a field goal. You dropped the two punts with the with the young kid back there. Do you how much? I know you want to have a confidence in a kid, but when the kid drops the first punt earlier in the game, is it just an automatic to put that kid back there a second time and keep him back there, especially in that kind of moment <clears throat> late in the game? You know, you, um, I don't know because, you know, sometimes I've, I've been in that same situation and I've kept the guy in there and gotten burned and I've also replaced him. But I always, you know, the, you always want a guy that can break it all the way, but uh, you don't ever give up. You always want to make sure the, the yeah, whoever you have back there is going to catch the ball. That was always my deal. I, I went for that more than the guy that could maybe break the, the big play, but you know, you hope a guy can do both, but you know, that was, that was tough. And of course that young guy is going to have to, you know, just rise back up and right. you know, hopefully he'll be a great player and, and do better, you know, but <clears throat> tough decision, you know, by, uh, you know, for the coaches, obviously they wish they probably would have replaced him because it cost him. I mean, yeah. What were, what are your thoughts about Brian Kelly potentially going for two instead of kicking it 
What with you have all the momentum in the world? Do you, do you do you seriously consider going for two when you score on the last play of the game, or is it a, in in your mind a no brainer to kick the extra point? Uh, kick the extra point. Yeah. I would have. I, I'd extend yep. the game. Yeah. You know, you're really you, you're really in your home area. You've got all the fan support. Right. You've got momentum because you just drove the ball ninety something yards all the way down the field. Uh, there's no question. I would have. I would have kicked the extra point as well. Yep. Yep. Okay. Special teams. You see, a lot of, we saw a lot of special teams errors all over the country this weekend. Is it just a? I won't say neglect, but is it just a not spending enough time on it? You've you've coached a lot of special teams. Is it just execution, or is it a combination of both? Well, it's all of it. You know, it's interesting. We talked about last week about who has the advantage on playing a game or not. Yeah, and I said to Florida State, I didn't know what kind of advantage that really was because. You know, they didn't play a, a very good opponent. Uh, but LSU had no game. Right. And the one thing that uh, Florida State, at least they were, they were able to get out and get their special teams uh, in a game situation. Uh, they were able to have a game under their belt and have film. And, you know, those kind of things, you know, uh, people would probably say, and the coaches at Florida State would probably say, yes, it helped us playing a game, even though it wasn't a team that was even close to what LSU is. So, right, right. Um, but the special teams, it's a big deal. It's, you know, they practice it. I know Brian Kelly, I've faced him when he was head coach at Cincinnati. I know him well, uh, tremendous coach. And I know that he was very thorough. I know that they worked extremely hard in practice on the special teams. Uh, you know, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but you know, it wasn't, you know, but game day is different. <laughs> You're right. The game day is absolutely different than practice, you know, and you, you find out who can really play uh, when the game's on the line, when the lights come on, and some guys rise those occasions, some guys don't. Do you guys typically, in practice especially, do, I know you don't do a whole lot of live stuff. Do you do live special teams, field goal block, that kind of stuff, especially as you get closer to that first game? Do you do that stuff oh. live, or is it more just a kind of thud thud situation? Well, I always went live. Uh, a few times, but you do worry about getting somebody hurt, right? You know, and that that's a big deal. So usually, I went live for a few snaps, but not a ton. It's not certainly not going to be like game day, and certainly not going to be like Florida State, LSU, those type of opponents, right? Um, you know, so you always get worried about that in your first game. You, you always are concerned about that, uh, but you try to do, you try to do as much live work till you feel confident that. You'll get it done during the during the game. I mean, you had East Carolina, you had East Carolina, NC State, where the kid missed an extra point with under two minutes to go. Then he misses a game-winning forty-yard field goal, which prevented a huge upset for East Carolina. You had some punting issues in other places. I mean, you know, the F USF runs a kickoff back for a touchdown in their game. I mean, but there's just you know special teams. I've said it. I work with kids here in the Tampa Bay area, kickers and punters. It's the most undercoached position in in both college and high school football from a time perspective, and it's not your fault. You guys have time limitations. You can only do – you only have so much time to do it. It's just – it's it, to me, it's one of the – it's the most undercoached part of the game it, 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 that matters so much. Well, that's why I, I ran the special teams the last five years, you know, when I was head coach in South Florida, uh, just because I wanted to pay attention to it make sure it was was covered well. Uh, you know, so, yeah, it's a, 
it's a uh, yeah there's a lot of things that happen i was fortunate i had the gramatica brothers you know i had bill right. in santiago i recruited martin you know to kansas state so that that you know developed a relationship with the family and then i had mike Bonani and uh, you know was really hard because mike Bonani was working at bush gardens my last year in south florida and he got hurt hurt his back wow and i had tryouts for kickers and it eventually really cost us last game of the year when we played uconn uh in the snow i had a kicker that just he couldn't kick and <laughs> it's a long story but it, it the kickers are important uh to have those guys and have have all the good ones there and also the protection for those kickers to have confidence right right all right let's get to jordan travis quarterback florida state played really well especially on third down they were 11 of 17 on third down he made some big throws made some plays with his feet would you would you would you see out of travis that impressed you well, I thought he managed the game very well. Yep. You know, he didn't make a lot of mistakes, and he handled the offense, and he knew the offense well. <clears throat> and uh, that, uh, you know, I was more impressed with him than I thought I would be. Right. You know, I didn't know if he was, you know, somebody that could take you to the promised land. You know what I mean? It's, uh, but he 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 managed the game. He did what he was asked to do. He didn't. He used his his personnel well. Yep. I thought the uh, the 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 plays that were called were uh, were done well. Thought the offense coordinator did a good job, and um, I was impressed, especially towards the end of the game when they drove it all the way down there. You know, yep. people are going to talk about the pitch play, but you know, I don't know. They, you know, it was just kind of a toss <clears throat> to the perimeter, but uh, but I thought a lot of the play calling during that drive was 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 really good, and I thought he did a good job. How much is the head coach? Is it would that would that pitch play would that been a situation potentially when you hear that play call come in from the one the situation they were in one yard line they had the lead Ellis the only way you can lose that game is by turning it over is that a situation where you might as the head coach say hey we're not pitching it here call another play hand it off or do something where you're not pitching it uh, probably not <clears throat> if it was inside the one if it was like two inches or three inches I you know, I would have told him definitely go, you know, quarterback snake. It just don't right. do something like that, but probably not. You, you, you trust your offensive coordinator. Okay. And, um, you know, you, you give him a lot of responsibility and, you know, you just, you have to trust that. Is that, is it, it Florida state escaped? You could see that you could see the relief on coach Norvell's face post game that he realized he got away with one last night. As far as the way that game ended, do you think this is a catapult for Florida State? You know, they got a week off. They got Louisville. Is this a catapult kind of game? It's a it's a big game. You had to win the game. He needed a win like this. How do you think this win accentuates Florida State's season? Well, the bottom line is you win. Yeah. It, you know, it doesn't really, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day. You guys don't care you as long as you got as as one more win. point. All right. As long as you win the game and the confidence right. to go into New Orleans. Right. And the LSU's backyard and Baton Rouge is right there um and to and to win that game and what they're going to point to is that it shouldn't even come down to that we really dominated the game they did you know they they score on that one when they're right down there shoot us Notre Dame's not going to probably come back and get that game right um so yeah it's going to be huge for those players and they're going to practice that much harder they're going to practice with that much more focus they're going to it's going to bring them together that I mean wins End of the day, you win, right? And uh, yeah, it's gonna it's huge for Florida State. 
it's, it's certainly going to help them in a, in a great way. I got you. Hey, fans, with the college football and NFL season now underway, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity that you can rely on like BetUS. BetUS has been pioneers in the sportsbook industry for over 25 years, thriving and paying their loyal customer base quickly and securely. Go to BetUS.com and take advantage of an offer we have for all of our shows on the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. You'll receive 125% sign-up bonus by using our code COAST22. That's COAST22. Put $100 in, get an additional $125 to play with. $200 initially deposited, get you $250, and so on and so forth. BetUS has all the NFL, Major League Baseball postseason, NBA, and almost any sport you can think of. But we know you are college football fans at heart, and we want you to be with us all season long on BetUS. Check us out at BetUS.com, and remember our 125% match bonus for initial signups with our code COAST22. BetUS, you bet, you win, you get paid. Are you ready to profit this NFL and college football season? Do you need picks to profit with your sports gambling outlet? Reach out to Picks to Profit at 813-542-7559. One flat monthly fee of $100, no more, no less. You will receive six picks every week of the college football and NFL season. Point spreads, totals, prop plays, teasers, maybe even a parlay. You'll get all six picks emailed and texted straight to your mobile device on game day. Let us do the work while you profit. Picks to Profit, 813-542-7559. All right, let's go to Gainesville. What another wild finish. Utah Utah comes to town, Florida wins 29-26. They intercept the ball in the end zone the last 20 seconds of the game. You know, Utah came in there, and you know, they played well. They went toe-to-toe with the Gators. And from what I saw, it looked like Florida was the team that was kind of wilting there at the end. Utah had a huge drive to start the second half where they ran the ball down Florida's throat for like 11 play drive, scored a touchdown. They fumble on the one yard line or I mean, or Utah fumbles or gets stopped on the one yard line. They turn it over late in the game there at the last 20 seconds. Just your thoughts of the Florida, Florida, Utah game. Tremendous game. Yes. I was very impressed with Utah and I knew what they were doing offensively, you know, bringing in those tight splits with the tight ends and tight, yeah. And they're just running inside zone. Really, it's a daylight play. Just giving the ball back to the running back with enough room. He's just looking for daylight for a crease. And uh, they did all game and then ran the boots off it. And very, very impressed w- with how tough they were. Yeah. Very impressed with their resilience going into Gainesville uh, on a long trip like that. I could see why they were preseason ranked seventh in the country. Um, and I think they're going to have a tremendous year i really do yeah uh they have a tremendous coach he's done a great job there and that's a good team and i thought in the end i thought they're probably the better team i agree uh, than florida but florida i was so impressed with them as well got a new head coach coming in their first game uh you know after last year when florida kind of you know really struggled you know towards the end of the year uh to uh to play like they did and I, I, those are two very, very good football teams that I thought were extremely well coached. Um, I was very impressed, really was. I was I was really impressed with that game. And 
In fact, my, my two girls and I watched that game and, uh, uh, we, and they, 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 they enjoyed it as well. So <laughs> well, you saw the excitement everybody has around Anthony Richardson, the, the oh, sure. is a quarterback, the athlete, he made it. I mean, on the two point play late in the game, he, the, the movie made on the two point play to avoid a sack, to throw the two point play, the runs, he, the, the elusiveness that he shows at quarterback, how hard you're a defensive guy. How hard is that to scheme against a guy like that? with such natural athletic ability, you could throw the ball as well. Well, it's just what you said. You know, you, it's hard, you know, because if you've got a quarterback that you feel like can't beat you throwing the ball, and then you can load up and, you know, make him beat you that way. Right. You've got a quarterback that can throw and run. That's why, you know, here's I was at South Florida. We had the Matt Grothies and the Markwell Blackwells. Yeah, and the BJ Daniels, they could all throw and run, and that's why we, you know, we were, you know, had so much success. And uh, it's very hard for a defensive, you know, for defense to stop that. You load up the box, now you got, you know, man-to-man coverage on the outside, or you know, you you go to split safety coverages, and now yeah. you got a light box you can run run at, you know, and quarterback running the ball even if you have quarterback run plays as well. And Utah, the quarterback could run as well. Yeah. You know, so I mean, you had two very good offenses, two very good defenses playing, the special teams. I thought that was the best game of all the games. I, I thought that was the best game that I that I saw. Really did. I thought it was extremely well played. No, I agree with you. And Florida Florida had some – you know, they were able to run the ball. They showed some some running ability. The offensive line played – both offensive lines played pretty good, I thought. Right. They were, they were sound. They they opened up holes. You know, Utah was in position to tackle Richardson several times. And right. just Richardson's athleticism was just was just too much for a couple of those linebacker safety guys for, for Utah and a couple of those runs that, that extended drives and things like that. And you're right. Both teams played really well. What would you think of the, the – Talk about playing in that atmosphere in the swamp, ninety thousand. That kind of right. atmosphere at night. Talk about you as a you know an opposing team playing in that kind of atmosphere. Well, you know, I I, I was an analyst up at Florida State. Uh, you know, when we went down and played Florida, and, and it was it was it was really surreal in a lot of ways. I I'd never been in the swamp. Never had even I'd gone to a game when I was in high school, but that was that was a long time before. Right. But I'd never coached uh, in there, and I thought that was – it was quite an atmosphere. It reminded me of Oregon, to be honest with you. Uh, Oregon's very similar that way, uh, where you, you, you're you always going to get sellouts. They're always going to turn the lights on, and, you know, the, all the <laughs> all the fans are going to turn on their <laughs> iPhones or whatever, you know, in the fourth quarter. Uh, very similar, the two places. And um, uh, for Utah to come in, I, I'm telling you that – and and the way they do the ball control offense, you know, run the ball. I I, I love that. I thought it's a very good uh, offensive philosophy. I, it's it's very tough, and people don't you don't see that in practice. You can't simulate it. Right. It's very hard, and that's why. And Utah's done that for years. And of course, I faced Utah when I was at Oregon. Right. And faced them when I was at Colorado. So. Um, had some success, beat him a few times, and lost him a few times. I was surprised. You know? I was surprised on the last drive. Utah had first and goal at the five, plenty of time. <clears throat> he throws the first ball out of bounds, which is a smart play. 
And then right. the second down play, they he tries to jam a ball in there in that zone defense in the end zone on that slant. I just I was very surprised he tried to jam a ball in there like that when he still had a third down to play with. Well, you know, he's he's you know, some quarterbacks have a lot of confidence, you know, and he yeah. felt like he could get that throw uh, in there. And um it's you know, he'll tell you not a good decision, made a wrong decision, but also he's a very confident quarterback and a very good quarterback. And uh, you know, it's it's you know, your game's on the line. You look yeah. at that game, you look at Florida State game. I mean, I'm telling you, great it, it, you know, week one. <laughs> It's unbelievable. Just shows how close these teams are and, and how the parity out there and some of these teams. But those, those, you know, those two teams are, well, I think I think Florida's going to have, you know, very good success. And I think uh, Utah will too. I really do. They're If they keep getting better from where they're at right now. Absolutely. Those are two very good football teams. And that Keith, <clears throat> that Keithy kid at tight end is a legit NFL player at tight end. Right. He's a good player. At tight end for Utah, they are gonna they are gonna use him. You could tell he's their number one option in the passing game, no doubt about it. They scheme. I'm, I was surprised they did not scheme their best play for Keithy in the end zone there at the end. Well, they might have on the next play. Yeah. You know, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard to know what they're thinking because you're the offense coordinator in that situation. You're you're thinking you've already gone through those scenarios many times in your mind. In, uh, in the film room and out in the practice field. And you brought, you know, you certainly have your list of plays that you're going to run in that situation. Second and five, third and five, even, you know, fourth down. Because right. you do on defense. You know, I know that I had, I have certain calls that I'm going to make, you know, in those situations. And, um, you know, it's, those, those are already played out. Right. Well, you hope so. If you're a good coaching staff, yeah. they're played out. Well, they are. They, they are. are. Those are good coaches. Yeah, no doubt. All right, listen to the coach and the kicker segment with, with former USF head football coach Jim Levitt. Uh, we're breaking down all the Florida games. We had some wild finishes. We won't talk about it much, but FIU wins 38-37 in overtime. Coach McIntyre, who you might know, won his first game as FIU coach <clears> in <throat> overtime over Bryant. Willie Taggart, FAU, lose a tough one, 41-38 at Ohio. Um, you know, again – Great games. Four, I mean, there were four tremendous games involving Florida schools this weekend. Let's go to Tampa, BYU-USF. This game was, you hate to say this, this game was over in the first quarter. First play of the game, BYU goes 75 yards for a touchdown. You know, USF goes three and out, score again. Then USF throws a, a bubble screen interception return. How demoralizing is it for a staff, for the team, when the game's basically over at the end of the first quarter? Well, it's tough. You know, there's no <clears throat> no way you can sugarcoat it. It's, you know, BYU coming in, coming all the way across the country, it's just like Utah going up Gainesville. But, um, I mean, it's not the same environment. But, um, you know, you you got to start off fast. And, unfortunately, the wrong team started off fast. And, you know, the lightning delay, you know, that's not really an excuse you can use because certainly BYU, uh, you know, sat in there and, you know, was ready to play. Right. Um, and you had two teams that both had a lot of people back. You had a lot of leadership back at right. both places. You know, certainly the quarterback at BYU is, boy, he manages the game well. Yeah. And, you know, I, I thought the quarterback at, you know, the quarterback at uh, that they went with, the, the Baylor transfer, uh, he showed that he's got, got talent. Right. Made some, made some poor decisions uh, <clears throat> that you just can't make. Uh, but, 
Yeah, it was disappointing. You know, as a coach, you know, I'm I'm sure Coach Cott is, you know, he's disappointed at the, at, you know, I'm sure he felt they were very prepared, felt like they're they're ready to play, <clears throat> but the reality is they weren't. And, um, you know, so you're going to have to go back and kind of uh, regroup, you know, and, and spend an inordinate amount of time with your staff, uh, <clears throat> more than the players right now. You got to get your staff and you, and you got to, you, you got to, you got to get those things corrected and it ain't going to be fun. Uh, it's it's going to be some, I, I know I've been in those kind of meetings before and, uh, and, and you're just going to sit with one side of the staff for probably eight hours watching the game. And you're going to, and you're going to be pretty direct. Right. And you're going to spend about eight hours with the other side and be pretty direct. I know I was. And because it really, it comes down to the head coach came down right. to me. And it was my responsibility. So uh, you're gonna you're gonna make sure that that's done because the coaches on your staff. The reason they're there, hopefully, is because they 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 care and love young people, and and they owe it to the players to make sure that they're as prepared as possible to to not let those things happen. And I know they worked hard. I know they've got good coaches, uh, and uh, but then none of that matters. You know, like, it's just like we talked about, Florida yeah. State won. Right, you win or you lose, and, and uh, so, and, and as a coach, it's not it's and for you, I'm sure you, you obviously nobody want, ever wants to lose a game, but when you lose a game in that kind of fashion, when you just get manhandled from the get go like that, that's the part where for as a coach, you that's where you have to be very direct with everybody because you can't and not that you don't want to lose, but if you lose a if you play well losing as opposed to play playing lousy losing, there's a big difference, right? Well, if you're at home, also. Right. I mean, it's a home game, and it's not like it's on the road. And one thing we pointed to is you want to win the home opener, you know. But you're you're right. At least you want to battle and fight, you know, and do those things. And I'm sure I'm sure South Florida will do. You know, they'll they play Howard next week. Now Larry Scott, who yeah. played for me as their head coach, and they certainly don't want to stumble in that game. You know, they need to come out and they need to come out. And I mean, they need to come out with an attitude. They need to come out with uh, very angry. I know the practices that uh, that I would have this next week is going to be as intense as you've ever seen. Uh, there ain't going to be a lot of fun. It, nobody likes losing. And, uh, um, uh, you know, you're going to need to get this thing corrected and get going right now. Uh, because right. after that, they're on the road at Louisville, on the road at Florida. Right. And... Um, and you're not worried about again, like I said, I don't I never told people about winning and losing games. That that what bothered me so much, or what would bother me so much and had because I've lost some big games, is the play. Right. The play on the field. Right. You know, uh, and like I told you last week, you you win enough snaps, you win the game. If you don't, you lose. And and I I'd be the, the disappointment is just the play. You know, heck with a win and a loss and getting beat so bad. It's, you know, the execution and how we, how we want to establish ourselves. How much did the, do you think the weather delay? I know, no, you know, both teams had to deal with it. I get it. But do you think the weather delay, as far as the fandom, the intensity, the excitement of the game starting, did the, did you think the, I, and I think from the, even the weather perspective, it was a cooler day after the weather delay. I mean, do you think that had anything to do with, with the result? No, you know, you, you, if you, if you're a person that makes excuses, you would. <laughs> but you know, there's there's no excuses. You know, it's right, right. I mean, I've been through I've been through those kind of things. 
uh, you know, and you don't always know how to handle it. Right. I didn't. Uh, we just sat in the locker room and I had our position coaches get with their players and just kind of go through uh game plan. Right. You know, um, I also had the players just kind of get by themselves and just, you know, always, you know, like, like always, you know, always wanted to have headphones and those kind of things because everybody gets ready differently. Sure. You know, some people like to listen to music. Some people don't want to hear anything. So I always had people make sure you had headphones or something like that, because the guy next to you might not want to hear any music or anything like that. That was just my style, but there's other people are different. There's so many different ways that you can handle that time, I guess. But I think the bottom line is when you go out and you're in the game, you're in the game, you know, you're, you're playing. So. Well, like I said, this will be, you you made a great point. This will be a great week for, for USF to know where they are. If they come out lethargic or don't play very well against Howard, you know, there's probably problems developing there, but if they come out and snap back and like I said, this week of practice, you're right. There'll probably be a very challenging week of practice for those players knowing that they're playing Howard, a team they should beat. But yeah, you're right. That's the that's the that's probably the the, the right approach to do that because you can't you again, like we talked about, it's not that you lose games, but you can't be getting beat by 30 and 40 every week against the decent teams you're playing on your schedule. Well, you know, BYU's a really good team. Let's they not are, they you are. know, let's 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 you know, I mean, I was very impressed with them. Uh now their best player was out, didn't make the trip, and then their top receiver gets hurt his ankle right uh, right away in the second quarter. It just shows they've have they have some depth. Uh, at those positions, and it shows how important it is to have a quarterback like they do in a big off the offensive line. Their line did, yes, did line. a great job. Yes, you know that, that's you know the first thing defensively you just can't. And I know their defense coordinator is good. Good, he's got a good resume. And, um, I know that he knows what he's doing. So, you know, you, but you just can't you can't let another team run the ball. Uh, you know, if they're going to throw deep balls and beat you that way, that's one thing. But to run it right up, right right up your you know, <laughs> you don't you don't want that to happen. Uh, right. That can't happen. It's right. got to get you got to correct that right away. Uh, you know, but uh, you, 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 this is a long season. It's one game, yeah. Yeah. and that's the one thing that you got to point out to the players. It's one game. It's not like you're zero and ten. You know, you're zero and one, right. and and you can't make more out of it than that. Get it corrected. Let's let's play well against Howard and then take one game at a time because, you know, at Louisville, they're not going to be uh favorite. They're not going to be favorite at Florida, but that has nothing to do. I used to always tell the guys it has nothing to do with winning a conference championship. That's right. You know, and they're not going to play for national championship. It's just not going to happen. Right. So, and the key is get, get this thing right through your, you know, non-conference games and, and get ready to, you know, to, to build, to be in a position to go after a conference championship. And, right. you know, that's, that's, you know, they haven't lost those, that goal. They haven't, you know, if their goal was undefeated season, they're not going to get that, but that was never really one of my goals. It was always, right. You know, um, you know, we had, we had certain goals we had, and that wasn't one of them. Winning conference championship was one of them. Yeah. So, all right. So Miami, Miami and central Florida had ho-hum games with their opponents. Dominant performances. Not yeah. we won't not a lot of talk about with them, honestly. Did you notice anything as far as obviously Mario, new coach at Miami? Anything did you notice with with that? I don't, you may not even watch the game. I didn't see much of the game. <clears throat> How do you again? They're building their their first test is AM in week three. They go to AM in week three. That we'll talk about that game in depth as we get there. But um last thing I'll get you out of here. 
Talk about the anticipation. You you coached in the NFL for several years. Week one of the NFL this week is coming up for these guys. What's the difference in mood and in preparation between a college week one and an NFL week one? Well, you know, it's the game is very different. You're you're dealing with grown men that right. <laughs> that is their livelihood. It's it's very different. Uh, you know, like I said, you you got pros, you got grown men that or playing the game, it's, 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 it's a different deal. It's a different mind. It's just, I don't know how to explain it. Um, but it's the same thing. You want to win your opener. You know, you want to win that first game. And, uh, and the preseason is a preseason. You're not even, you don't even, you know, now you're, you've had all your cuts. Right. You've got, you know, you've moved on a lot of players. You're down to very few players. And uh, let me ask you this. How challenging! How challenging is for you as the position coach to have to coach a kid, a guy who might have just joined the team a week ago, less than a week ago, to be in a position where he might have to play a little bit or on special teams or whatever. How? Whereas college, you've had the kids for a month, six weeks or whatever it is. How challenging is it to have to coach a guy, a linebacker potentially, who might have to play a little bit for you and to get him up to speed to where at least he can be functional? Well, it's very uh, challenging because I. Um... You know, I had that situation. I had Pat Willis, Navarro Bowman, Ahmad Brooks, Alden Smith. Those guys were, yeah. of course, Alden was a rookie and he was playing, but we only played him in certain sub packages. But, um, you know, with Pat and, and uh, Navarro was not a big deal. Those guys were going to be ready to play and they played great. But the guy but, you sign off the street after cut down day, you bring him in and he might be your backup linebacker or a special teams guy. You got to get him up to speed a little bit to be able to function if he has to play. Well, it happened our, my last year with San Francisco. We had we had some, uh, we had a rookie that had to come in and play. And he ended up making all pro, and uh, but uh, he was going to make a number of mistakes uh, in the game, and um, it wasn't the same as Pat or Navarro. I mean, because he hadn't played, <laughs> right? And you know, you 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 do your best. You 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 work extremely hard. You know, he's going to play a little bit more in the preseason games than normal. And, um, but, uh, you know, uh, the, the real tough part is when you're in the middle of the season and you get people hurt and you have to go into free, you have to go off the street right. and bring somebody in and you have three days, to get them ready to play <laughs> and they're starting for you. And, and it's not, if they're not ready, it's not their fault. It's your fault. The GM's going to make that very quick, <laughs> you know, and the head coach, you know, you want to, you want to stay here and be a part of this staff. You better, you better get this guy ready. That's and, uh, <laughs> and that's that gets pretty intense. You're going to be with a player sometimes till <clears throat> two or three in the morning, Gosh. early in the week, to make sure they they understand the the defensive calls and the packages. And <clears throat> usually, hopefully, they've been, you know, you've picked them up off the street of a team that runs a similar defense than you run. You know, <clears throat> that's important. Right. Well, coach, great job. I won't tell anybody you threw four interceptions against Sarasota Riverview. <laughs> okay, thank you. We're going to tell everybody you were an All-American safety at, at, at Mizzou, Mizzou. There you go. You were a top five, you were a five-star prospect coming out of Dixie Hollands. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, we, well, that, that's what we need to do. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great week, Coach. We'll see you next time. All right, see you, Jason. All right, bye. All right, bye. We'll see you next time on the Coach and the Kicker segment. We'll be right back. Are you in the market for a new home as we enter the fall? First time home buyer, you want to upsize or downsize your current living situation? 
Reach out to Titan Home Lending for all of your home lending needs. If you need an FHA, VA, conventional, jumbo, or even a bank statement loan, Titan is the place to help you. We will work with whatever financial situation you are dealing with. Again, from Key West to Pensacola to Orlando to everywhere in between, Titan Home Lending is your home lending source in the state of Florida. Reach out to Jason Powers, 205 790-1404. Welcome back, Power Florida Football Insiders. You just heard Coach Jim Levitt's analysis of, of, of the Florida State LSU game, Utah BYU. We talked a little uh Flo- a little Miami, a little uh, Willie Taggart at FAU, USF BYU. Now we're going to talk to Matt Merchell. He was in the building in, in New Orleans at the Mercedes-Benz Old Superdome. I guess that's what they're calling it these days. He was there Sunday night for the wild finish, the best finish of the weekend in college football in the, in the standalone game Sunday night. Welcome back to the Florida Football Insiders podcast, Matt. Well, thanks for having me back. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. And just to give Matt his his proper due, he's the uh, beat writer for Florida State for the Orlando Sentinel. So he covers all things Florida State, covers a little UCF, I saw he covers a little Orlando Magic. They opened a new little facility last week. He's a uh, beat writer of all the sports down there in, or- in the Orlando area. Yeah, whatever they need help, right? I'm there. I'm the I'm the guy. So it's a. Uh, I guess it's good to have uh, your fingers in a lot of pies, right? Right. That's right. The more valuable you are, the the more the more uh, things you can do, the better for all of us in life. So, all right, let's get right to it. Sunday night, Florida State escapes by the skin of their teeth. 24-23 final. You know, before we get uh, before we get to the on the field play, we got we got to get to Coach Norvell. I mean, I hate to hate to do this, but you got to question some game management situations. Obviously, I'm going to start with one that I haven't heard people talk about much, but I thought it was a big moment of the game, and it really could have cost them had they lost the game. Late first half, they're up 10-3, fourth and two on about the seven or eight yard line, and they decide to go for it and not kick the field goal. What'd you think of that call early in the game with the defense playing as well as they did? You know, um, I I kind of think maybe that was a little bit of what was going on in his mind is, you know, the defense was playing well and maybe he thought if we don't get this, you know, this is, you know, them, they're pinned down deep and our defense maybe could, could can do a good job there. Um, I, I'm not sure. He didn't talk about that, obviously, because after the game, it was a lot more about uh, yeah. the last couple of minutes. Um, I, I wonder if he was a little concerned with the field goal kicking, you know, again, you know, maybe, or else he thought, at that point, you know, he wanted to try to really build up that lead and really kind of put down, put the foot on the throat, you know, of, of LSU at that point. Um, I didn't like the play call necessarily. I thought right. it was, again, you know, I understand fades. I understand, you know, kind of the in the corner type situation. And I understand Micah Pittman, you know, is, is a guy who's a go-to guy. Um, I, I, I've seen them run some things in practice where I think they could have done a lot better to get a better opportunity on that as well. Uh, so it, it's always a gamble for him. And I, I think, you know, that was an opportunity there. Maybe you take the three points and you say, okay, we're going to get our points and go out there. I think he felt like everything was moving well and, and they, they could get an opportunity there. That to me was questionable, but not as questionable as when we get later in the game. And then, you know, you get down to the, you know, when, when it's uh, the last quarter and, you know, the third down situation and the fumble and, you know, that that's was a little more questionable kind of calling on that front. But again, you know, to his credit, Mike Norvell at the end of the game talked about that's me. I make those calls. I own it. If it's, it's a problem, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm the one who'll take the blame on it. So at least he was willing to do that. Yeah. I mean, again, getting to that call, it's third and one at the one yard line. 
the only I mean LSU still has a couple timeouts, but no matter what, you're gonna get a field goal out of the drive, which mm. is gonna put you up two scores with under two minutes to go, and the game's virtually over. The only way you screw that up is by, you know, the more pitches and the probability of a fumble is by pitching the ball. You, yeah. you either hand the ball off or you run a quarterback draw. They do neither of those. And it wasn't even a traditional pitch play. It was a kind of an odd-looking pitch play mm. by Jordan Travis. They fumble the ball. LSU recovers at the one. Then they go 99 yards with one timeout and about a minute 15, which, again, you can question some of the defensive situations. And they get the obviously they 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 give up the touchdown in the last play of regulation, and they escape with the block field goal. What was he? Did he talk about the last drive on defense at all in your press conference talking to him after the game? Yeah, I, he was. He said, "Listen, you know, we. we I, I think in the way they were stunned. I, I think the fumble right. kind of really caught him off guard. I mean, here you are, like you said, you're, you're thinking this is it. We're at least going to get three points out of this. The game's um, over." I've never been a big fan of when you're on the one yard line. Maybe it's because I'm an old old school guy. I'm always like, I miss the fullback. You know, you had done it earlier in the game where you brought in DJ Lundy as a fullback, yes. and you literally, you know, you want the fullback. So my point in that situation is, you're going to get at least the three. So why do something that could cost you something like that? So and again, he he took credit for and said, you know, the onus was on him. That was his call. He should have done something different. Obviously, um, I think. I'm going to take a little bit of credit, the, the idea that maybe, you know, like, again, with, with the emotion and everything, you know, you're, you're trying to, you want to do something maybe a little bit, you know, tricky. And I, I just don't think it worked. I would have gone straight forward yep. quarterback you know, dive or done, you know, like a fullback play where you're, yeah, you just need to get the one yard and, and yeah. that's it. You um, and I, and then, you, yeah, I was gonna say, you and I know back in the early days of Florida state and in, in the glory days, William Floyd, they used to run that mm-hmm. fullback dive to yeah. death for touchdowns from the one and two yard line. I mean, I just and like you said, they 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 ran that play in the, earlier in the game for a touchdown with yeah. the, with the linebacker. So I just, at worst, you don't make it on third down and make LSU burn another timeout. Yeah, I mean, that's, you have no exactly. new situation. Exactly, and then like you said, then then there's the 99 yard, and and they get some of the mentality too. Is who's good? They're not going to go 99 yards. Well, right. I said as the game went on, you know that Florida State the last couple of years has really struggled with mobile quarterbacks. They really struggle with a guy like, like Jane Daniel, you know, who, who can yeah. kind of find the hole and be able to get those big gap, you know, runs. And I, I think that's where they struggled with that. And, you know, all of a sudden then they're marching down the field. And I asked Mike Norvell after the game, like how much of that emotional swing? Cause here you guys are thinking this is it. And then the fumble happens and then they start marching on the field. So emotionally it's gotta be hard for those guys. I mean, cause you know, you're, you're trying to, to play catch up. Right. Um, and then, you know, they, they get down, there's some questions. I mean, you know, the defense didn't had moments. I think they wanted to, to blitz a little bit, but they weren't able to contain Daniels. That's been a problem. It's going to be a problem in two weeks when they play uh, Malik Cunningham, right. uh, the Louisville quarterback, because they understand he's mobile as well. Um, so, I mean, that, that is struggle. And then they get down the one yard line on that crazy play that kind of, they had the instant replay review to right. see was his, his knee down. And even then they still got the one second back and it, it just, it just felt like they just, all the air went out kind of what they were they were doing all, all game long um but then then they get it back on on the the extra point block so um were the you surprised think, were you surprised were you surprised kelly didn't go for two i wasn't i think he wanted to, i think he felt like we just fought our way back let's right. just get the, the extra and he thought let's just get the kick and move on I'm um what i'm surprised about and this is what jared verse you know florida state defensive end told us was they triple team verse on that extra point and he told us flat out, 
I knew someone had to be open because if you're triple teaming me, then there's got to be someone open. Right. And that's what happened. And Brown was able to get in there and get that play. So that tells me that the special teams work was not great on, on, on LSU's part. They, there's no way. I understand verse blocked the kick earlier in the game, but right. you can't, you know, that's just something you can't do. And, and so um, it was a huge play. And eventually Florida State's going to get to the point where they learn how to put away those games. They, they've right. got, that's, that's what good teams do. Georgia doesn't let, Oregon get back in their game. You know, Ohio State doesn't let Notre Dame get back in their game. That's what Florida State's got to get to that point. It's a learning lesson, but as Mike Norvell said at the game, we needed this win. We needed to get this yes. win because it's going to do a lot for their, for, you know, what, you know, recruiting, for for financial, for for fundraising. Yeah, It's a big win. And and kudos to the fans who showed up because that place was loud and, and packed. One of the best environments I've been around for a while. And, 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 I would say it's a big win, but I don't think it's a it's a program changing. I've heard a lot of no. people talk. This is a no. program changing turnaround of the program. I don't think it's that. that that's a little strong because this is an on, on. If we're being honest about it, it's a, probably a pretty average LSU team this year. They're not great. Yeah. They're, they're good, but not great. This is not a program changing win. They needed it. You needed the win, but it's not a program changing win for Florida State. No, I don't think so. But I will say this. I think it's a signature win yes. for Mike Norvell as the Florida yep. State coach because this is the kind of win on national television. It's yep. the only game. you got a lot of buzz around it. Um, to get that win is, is huge. If he doesn't get the win, it, it, it you know people start thinking, oh, okay, we're, we're, we're still not there yet. Now at least you got a lot of expectation. I mean, I was telling someone earlier today, now all of a sudden you're in Louisville lost, you know, this weekend, yep. looked yep. bad doing it. Boston College lost. All yep. of a sudden now you're looking at that schedule going, well, I think Florida State could go four and zero, and if yeah. they're four and zero, I mean, I think that's all of a sudden people are thinking, okay, we could get to seven, eight, nine wins easily. So that's what that win does for them. Now, you know, I, I would say this more than anything of that the 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 MVP football should go to the offensive line because that was yeah. one of the best offensive line performances I've seen out of Florida State, and probably since Mike Norvell's taken over. And I was gonna—that was my next point—is the off. I know you wrote about it. The offensive line played really well. They opened up. I mean, they they weren't tremendous in pass protection but they were good he didn't get he got he got hit a couple times but they opened some running lanes when they needed to run the ball they did you know so i'm with you much better improvement out of that offensive line compared to years past when it was a complete sieve yeah and i will say that i i found this out later this afternoon i wasn't really sure about it but all five offensive starters offensive line starters played the entire game that's something i can't remember what florida state having done in a while They've usually had to bring guys in or out because of injuries. So that just shows you how the depth has helped them out and how they've been able to do it. And then I also say it also helped contribute to Jordan Travis on third downs. Yes. He was able to convert a, a great you know percentage. 11 on of downs. 17 on third downs. Nice. And that really helped them. That really helped them. I and mean, that kept them drives going and kept things going. And I think that wore out LSU down the road. If they don't do that, if they're not breaking on third down, I think LSU maybe finds a way to get back in the game a lot quicker. So, so overall, not because not a not I would saw a great performance, but I would say they did what they had to do to win the game. I agree. And a couple stats that lead to that offensive line play: time of possession, thirty-four to twenty-six in favor of Florida State. Eight-minute advantage. That's a huge advantage. I give credit to the offensive staff. I thought they called a really good game offensively. Mm -hmm. They called a couple reverses. They called the double pass. I mean, the reverse pass for a touchdown. Creative play calling. I'll give them. I, I liked what I saw play calling wise. And Jordan Travis, he looked very efficient. He played really well. He hit the open guys. He ran when he needed to. He stood in the pocket. And, he, the, you know, the one play we all saw on TV where he got hit right in the face yeah. by the LSU. I mean, he got crushed in the face. I mean, he got right back up and delivered a touchdown strike. So I think if you're a Seminole fan, you're, you're happy with what you saw out of Jordan Travis. 
Very much so. And I, I mean, that flea flicker was a great play call. Yeah. I mean, all day long they had it open. And I, I'll say this too, that it also shows me Mike Norvell and his staff did a great job getting the transfer portal because they got guys that have really helped this team. Micah Pittman, for instance, has been a game changer for them. He is the guy that, like a Julian Edelman, a guy when you need some yards and you need a first down, Micah Pittman's going to be that guy. He's he's the, he's the safety valve for Jordan Travis. That's been huge for them. Uh, you know, Johnny Wilson's come up with some yep. big kicks. Deuce Spawn has been used a lot in different formats. I mean, you know, Trey Benson at times has done things. I think they found these guys that are playmakers, which they haven't had in the last two or three years. And, and now maybe, all of a sudden they can do those things. And maybe the best guy from of all places, Albany, <laughs> Burse. I mean, the defensive end, yes. Burse, sat a couple a sack, blocked a kick. I mean, he was an impact player at defensive ends. Yeah, and I think, and I think the thing that they, that they keep telling us, and they've told us this all through fall campus. Listen, he's a young guy. I mean, they they think their his ceiling is high. I mean, he's not like Jermaine Johnson who came in here and really was like almost a finished product, and yeah. and you know was able to do it. Versus a guy that's going to get better and better and better, and he's going to have to because I'm going to be honest with you. At some point, teams are going to start double teaming him a lot more, uh, yeah. uh, and they're going to have to find ways to stop him. And that's just going to open the door for someone else on that defensive line. So they've got to find that next guy up who can kind of come in there and also be a factor and kind of help maybe take some pressure off that. All right. So Florida State's off this week, and they they play Louisville next week. So we're gonna we're gonna transition to Central Florida. You also you also are, are well versed with Central Florida. They play the team Florida State's going to play next week this Thursday night. Again, they host Louisville in Orlando. Correct? It's in Orlando. Yes, it is. I think it's Friday night. I think okay, it's Friday my, night. My mistake. Week. Friday night in Orlando. You know, again, Florida State has the week off, so they'll have an advantage there. They'll be able to recruit the game. I'm sure they'll have somebody at that game watching that game, scouting it. So, I mean, a big advantage for Florida State this week. Talk to me about UCF, Louisville. UCF won last week comfortably. South Carolina State, no doubt about it. Tell, give me, give the audience a little perspective of the UCF roster. Gus Malzahn's year two. Well, I think what you know the interesting thing about this is. This is going to be a different a different offense that Louisville is going to see from UCF because, you know, last year was Dylan Gabriel came in and Dylan Gabriel was a guy who's going to sit back in the pocket and throw the ball, try to throw it 40, 50 times. That's not what John Rice Plumley is. John Rice Plumley right. is a, a, a running type of, of, of quarterback who could throw the football. You know, I've, I've been using this reference a lot. He's like Nick Marshall was yes. to, to Gus Malzahn at Auburn. And I think yes. that's where you're seeing this, this kind of development. And I think that's where it's going to be huge for them. And we saw it against in the opener against South Carolina State. So it's a different type of guy. He can use his legs. He can use his arms when it needs to be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're able to, to kind of generate some points that way. So that's going to be a challenge. Other thing is UCF really wants this game because they're upset about what happened last year. They love that, that loss in the last second, you know, to them, uh, the pick six really kind of rubbed them wrong. And they understand that beating a team like Louisville and then beating a, a Georgia Tech team down the road, yeah. those kind of wins are the things, even though they're not great teams, they're still the kind of wins that will look good on a resume when you're trying to make an impression, you know, when it comes to, to late November and early December. So they want to win this game and they understand that Louisville is a banged up team that didn't look good yes. in that game against Syracuse. So now it gets the defense all fired up. They feel like they have an opportunity maybe to make some big plays. No doubt. Louisville is very vulnerable. They very much disappointed. Most people expected them to beat Syracuse. You got, you got Cunningham who's been there forever at quarterback. You, he, I mean, they were terrible against, I watched a little bit of that game and they were very bad against Syracuse. I mean, Syracuse might be improved, but they're not 31 to seven better than Louisville. No. I mean, that should be a toss up game at worst in that game. So I think, again, I think good, good sign for UCF, good start there. And again, a Plumley can throw in Malzahn, even when he was at Auburn, when they were really good, they, he loves to run the ball with that quarterback. 
Nick Marshall, Cam Newton. I mean, yeah. that, that run-centric spread offense when, when, when Malzahn's been good, when, when he's had good teams. Yeah, and I, I think that's what they get. I think, you know, also he, he added some good, like, much like Mike Norrell, he added some good transfer pieces. I mean, besides Plumley, I mean, the Javon Baker's a guy from the SEC. He's a talented wide receiver. They got uh, Kamori Gamble, you know, the former Florida tight end. He had a great catch in that win last weekend. He's a guy that's like a safety valve guy. That they, If they need some yards, he's going to get it. They need to get the running game going a little bit more than they did against South Carolina State. You know, Isaiah Bowser's a, a, a big back, a guy who can really kind of, you know, pound the ball, carry the ball 30, 40 times if they really need it. They didn't use him that much in that game. They need to get a little bit more on that running game. Johnny Richardson's a speedster who was able to take advantage of things. And then defensively, they got to be aggressive. They've got to contain Cunningham. The, I've seen Malik Cunningham play at least three, four, five times already. Yeah. I, he's a guy that if you can just contain him and don't let him get out of the pocket and, and do too much, You've got a chance to beat them. I don't think Louisville has the weapons like UCF to beat them. So that's kind of the game plan they got to go for. They just got to take care of the football, and, and that got sloppy. This is going to be probably another big crowd, maybe a sellout crowd. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be big for them. And, and I think that's where they've got, like I said, a little extra motivation in this game. Great work, Matt. Tell me where they can find your work online. OrlandoSentinel.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at OSMattRochelle. And an interesting ACC note: We just heard we just heard that uh, Sam Hartman is going to be back for Wake Forest yeah. quarterback. So Florida State is going to see him not to, in the not too distant future. So uh, another good player, which great for Sam Hartman because he was a really good yeah. player. he's a really good player for Wake Forest. So you're it's not you're not going to get Wake Forest under man. You're going to get their full full arsenal here down the road. But great work, Matt. We'll keep in touch for sure as we move along and as Florida State continues to win in Central Florida as well. So appreciate the time. No problem. Thank you. I appreciate it. You got it. All right. Kevin Brockway coming up next from the Gainesville Sun to break down Florida and Utah with, and also Kentucky coming to town this week. We'll be right back on the Florida Football Insiders podcast. College football fans, we know that with the season cranked back up, you're looking for the best seats at the most competitive prices. Take advantage of Ticket Smarter and their mobile app. Ticket Smarter is partnering with more than 100 universities and 24 conferences as their official resale ticket marketplace they have also partnered with espn events as an official ticket resale partner and with the best selection of ncaa football tickets ticket smarter makes sure fans from all over the country experience the power and excitement of college football live purchase your tickets quickly securely and the best prices on the secondary market with the ticket smarter mobile app or at ticketsmarter.com and we've got an additional offer for those listening to all of our podcasts on the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Take 5% off your purchase of $100 or more with our promo code GRIDIRON22. That's GRIDIRON22 for 5% off your order of $100 or more, and that code isn't just a one-time use. No, you can use that code as many times during the college football season as you'd like. Check out the selections pricing now with ticket smarter and remember our code gridiron 22 think smarter ticket smarter thanks to our partners at print and our real estate agent star alvarado if you're looking for full service print and banner and sign needs reach out to print print is located in tampa off a of gun highway in northdale mabry phone number 813-498-2887 again full service print Options available to you, banners, road signs, you know, corporate events, anything print-related, signs, banners, print is your outlet. Reach out to Todd Tedesco, my guy.
813-498-2887. If you're in the real estate market and you're looking to buy or sell a home, Star Alvarado is your agent. She can help you on the buying side as well as the selling side. She's a terrific agent located here in the Tampa Bay area. She can service you anywhere in the Tampa Bay area. Reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. All right, welcome back. Well, you heard Coach Jim Levitt's analysis of the Florida-Utah game a little earlier in the podcast. Now we're going to get with Kevin Brockway, who was in the building Saturday night in Gainesville to, again, get a little more, little deeper into this Florida-Utah upset. Not really an upset, but, you know, most people thought ranking-wise upset, but a lot of people thought this was a pretty much of a toss-up toss game, and what a game it was. A wild finish in Gainesville, and Kevin, you were there. Give the give the audience a little sense of the atmosphere in uh, at Florida Field. Yeah, first of all, a crazy atmosphere, a very raucous atmosphere, and I think that factored into the outcome of the game, uh, the fact that uh, – you know, it was so loud there at different points. And because of the high drama, um, it was, uh, you know, the, the crowd was really engaged the whole the whole, the whole whole way. And I think, you know, certainly the big plays from Anthony Richardson helped, right? You know, the 49-yard, 45-yard touchdown run early in the game really got the crowd energized. They're very excited to see what he could do. And then, of course, you know, you have a goal line stand in the third quarter. And, uh, you know, defense throughout the second half, bent but didn't break. Utah found something that worked, lining up the two tight ends and, you know, really pounding it down uh, Florida's throat. And, you know, Florida's got some things to work on with the run defense in the front seven. But uh, in the red zone, you know, Utah four of six, two touchdowns, two field goals. Uh, Florida three of three, three touchdowns. That was that was a huge difference in the game. Yeah, like I said, you, you made the great point about the, 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 the first drive of the third quarter. Utah goes 11 plays, run, run. Basically, they ran 10 out of the 11 plays, go all the way to the one-yard line. They were fortunate because on second down, Tavian Thomas would walk in the end zone, but he trips on his feet or something on the grass. So he, he gets stopped. Third down, he gets stopped on a fourth and goal. They go for it, and he gets stopped. Whether he fumbled or didn't make it, we're not sure. But, you know, he, they, they they stop him. They get stopped there. And obviously at the end of the game, they have first and goal with a five to win the game in the last 30 seconds. And then Florida comes up with a great interception in the end zone. Um Physicality wise, it looked like Florida was the team that kind of wilted in the second half a little bit physically. Uh, was was the weather conditions too bad? Or was it, how were the weather conditions? You know, I would say this. You know, it rained uh, on and off, particularly at the start of the game. It wasn't a heavy rain, but it was uh, enough. And you know, you, you talk about Tavian Thomas slipping. That might have been a factor in that too, because the yeah. field wasn't ideal, one hundred percent conditions. Yeah. But I do think that. Uh, it, it was a little concerning that uh, I thought, like, I agree with you, that that Florida was really the team. They should have been used to the elements, and they they look like the tired defense in the second half. Um, and uh, I do think, you know, time certainly in Utah's game plan. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Billy Napier in his assessment on Monday thought that they really matched the physicality. He, he viewed more of the issues of the run defense as being issues in alignment. Guys not lining up uh, properly, uh, maybe guys not containing the edge things of that nature. You know, he talked about how, you know, one guy, you know, misses an assignment in the wrong place. It can really yeah. result in some big runs. And Kim rising had a few big scrambles too, in the second half, uh, containing him, spying him. Um, but certainly, you know, you look on the flip side for Florida, that worked really well for Anthony Richardson being able right. his athletic ability as well, right. being able to get on scrambles. So I think both quarterbacks really factored into the outcome, not just with their arm, but with their legs. 
Let's get to Anthony Richardson. Lots of people. Now you see why so many people have him highly rated potentially as a draft pick next year. Uh, potentially, uh, you know, I've heard everything from top 10 to who knows where, but you saw the elusiveness that he showed. He threw the ball pretty well. The incredible play he made on the two-point conversion where he spun out of the sure sack to throw the two-point conversion. Just talk about the threat of Anthony Richardson with his legs. And he seemed to have some pretty good command of the offense. Yeah, I thought he really played within himself. You know, he had that one bad throw, I think, in the second half on a third and 10 play that could have been intercepted but wasn't. But for the most part, I thought that, uh, you know, uh, Coach Billy Napier and his staff did a really terrific job in in tailoring a game plan that really emphasized his strengths. And uh, I think that's what good coaches do. You know, they they don't they don't put, you know, their players in uncomfortable situations, particularly their quarterbacks. And I thought, uh, you know, Napier and his staff did a, a really terrific job with that. Um, you know, and I thought, you know, for the most part, he was accurate. I thought, you know, he had good velocity on his throws. Yep. Um, and um, certainly, you know, the explosiveness with the legs is the big thing through rushing touchdowns, uh, a career high for him in one game. And uh, that threat, that dual threat is going to make him, you know, really tough. And it brings back, you know, memories of guys like Cam Newton and guys like Tebow and yep. those kind of those kind of quarterbacks uh, that can do it with their arm and with their legs. Um, and he did also, you know, there were a few times where he slid too, though. He was smart. You know, Jack Miller's still going to be out for another week or two. So, uh, you, you know, you're going to be facing a Kentucky team that certainly has become a lot more physical under Mark Stoops and, and you know, since he's taken over. So you're going to need to be cognizant of that as well, when to, when to make the big play. But I thought it was, you know, a couple plays that were really fun where, you know, the one at the end of that run where he kind of, you know, put a basketball move, juke that safety there yeah. at the end and got the end zone. And then the two-point conversion where he faked out the Abade too, um, you know, eluded that rush. So he brings a different element with his athleticism in the quarterback position. Montrell Johnson, good job running the ball. 12 carries, 75 yards, and a touchdown. They, they used two or three different guys to run the ball pretty effectively. The O-line played pretty good. Wide receivers still need some, you know, still need a guy to step forward there. It seemed like to me on TV, Pearsall had a few catches, but nothing, no, no huge play. So to me, wide receiver and tight end are the places they need to see guys step forward and really become a factor. Yeah, no question. I think, you know, not having that you know, we didn't, they, they tried one deep ball to Xavier Henderson, didn't quite work out. Uh, Pearsall was was very good on the crossing routes, I thought. And, yep. you know, he's a guy that as he continues to get more healthy, I think will be more of a factor. But you are missing that home run threat at the wide receiver position. Uh, running back, uh, Montrell Johnson, that's a nice story because it's a little bit of a redemption story. You know, he fumbles early in the game, um, you know, could have affected him mentally, but then he came out yep. and uh, really flushed it. He, he talked a lot today about, you know, his teammates are very encouraging on the sidelines and when he got his opportunity. And, uh, you know, another guy I was really impressed with is uh, Trevor at the end. I mean, watch out for that kid. That kid yep. has got some elusiveness to him. I think he's going to factor in the running game. He's still two freshmen. Um, but as he gets continues to improve and get better, I think he's another guy that uh, you might see, uh, uh, you know, like uh, be, be, be a factor and emerge here. How'd you think Billy Napier handled the game management part of things? They went for it a couple times near the goal line. The, the, the first half, I believe, you know, the crowd, all that stuff. How do you think Billy handled all the game management stuff? Yeah, I think very well. And I think that, uh, you know, I just think his demeanor on the sidelines too, you know, there was a quiet confidence about him, you know, uh, he wears the hoodie on a hot humid night, which I thought was kind of interesting. He was the first one out of the tunnel, but I just think that he, is a guy that, uh, you know, I think he exudes that kind of calm and, and the, the players uh, feed off that, you know, I, I think that's important. You know, you don't want uh, you know, I think there's that fine line there with coach being emotional. 
it's okay to be emotional on the sidelines a little bit, but you got to pick your spots. And um, I, I think with, with Billy Napier, he did a good job of that, just picking his spots. And, and you know, the game management, you know, I, he's going to be a conservative guy. There was, you know, it was pretty interesting late in the first half. There's about 40, 46 seconds left. They were kind of inside or near their own 20. And then, you know, Diabate lost his helmet and there was a 10 second right. runoff. So he just right. decided to run out the clock, right. but they had the lead at the half. And I don't think he would have tried for field goal range anyway, because, I think, you know, he felt like if he had the lead, you know, you, you don't want to turn the ball over there, you know, make a mistake and give Utah a little life. So I, I just think that's the way he's going to coach. All right. So the Gators are 1-0. Got another tough game, SEC opener versus Kentucky this week. You talked to Napier on Monday. Any any concerns about the emotional being able to get back up for another big game, another home at first SEC game? What, what, did he talk about the, the fatigue level or any of that stuff that had to yeah, be Kentucky? Yeah, he was – he was he was asked about it, and uh, you know I think his thing is you know you 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 got to speak the truth in your team. You got to let them know that you know even though you won. I mean he used the phrase "fortunate to win" against yep. Utah, which, um, which which you know shows you that you know I think he feels like there's still a lot to clean up, and uh, I think that's going to be kind of the emphasis in in this week, and uh, you know approaching it with a lot of humility. Uh, work on your, you know, the things you need to work on uh, going into this game and then also focus on the game plan and what you got to do to shut down Kentucky. And certainly, um, you know, Kentucky not having Chris Rodriguez uh, is, a, is a big factor in the run game. I think he only ran the ball for about 50 yards against uh, Miami of Ohio. Uh, so they really struggled in the run game without him. Uh, but Will Lovis is a guy yeah. that's a, a pretty dynamic quarterback and, and, you know, another tough guy in the SEC. So uh, it will be interesting to see um, how they respond this week and if they can just kind of follow that, you know, humble mindset going into week two. Great job, Kevin. Uh, good work. Again, electric atmosphere at Florida Field Saturday night. There'll be another night game this week, I believe, with Kentucky coming to town. First SEC game for Billy Napier. Yeah. Was, were all the were all the uh, old, old school guys there with the ball coach and a bunch of guys on the sidelines? Yeah, well, I, I didn't see the ball coach, but I saw, you know, they honored Alex Brown and Rita right. Anthony was Mr. Two Bits. So that was kind of nice. And uh, I think, you know, Billy Napier does have this uh, interesting, uh, very open door, very welcoming uh, policy towards former players. You know, they can come and watch practice at any time. Yep. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, Kevin Carter even alluded to it a couple of weeks ago when we talked to him about some of the prior coaches had not been as welcoming as Coach Napier. And uh, the former players really appreciate that. So uh, uh, that's uh, that's interesting as well. And it's going to be um, it. They're, they're uh, apparently close to a sellout for this game too. You know, according to Coach Napier, he said you know a couple hundred tickets left, so it should be another great atmosphere. Awesome, Kevin. Tell everybody where they can find your work. Yes, uh, GatorSports.com and uh, Twitter at Kevin Brockway G1. Great job, Kevin. We'll have you back on in a couple weeks. See how the Gators are doing. Give you an update and cre- appreciate the time, Kevin. All right, thank you. Have a great week. Yep. Next up, we're going to have John Hale previewing the Kentucky Wildcats for you to give a little sense of Will Levis and company and what the Wildcats are going to bring to Gainesville. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Florida Football Insiders, we're going to give you a little, little taste and preview of the Kentucky Wildcats. Kentucky comes to Gainesville on Saturday to see the Gators in the SEC opener for both teams. And we are going to talk to John Hale. John is the beat writer for the uh, the Herald Leader in Lexington. He covers all things cats in Kentucky. So uh, welcome to the podcast, John. Thanks for having me. You got it. 
I uh, do you ever know a guy named Dwayne Peavy, one of the administrators? We, I do know Dwayne. Yeah, Dwayne's a good buddy of mine. We play a little fantasy football together, so I know he's up at the Paul now. So I figured. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, talk about the uh, Kentucky Wildcats. They opened their season thirty-seven thirteen, struggled a little bit early, but then they pulled away late. Give us a little sense of the Kentucky Wildcats heading into twenty twenty-two. That's interesting. Obviously, there's more hype probably for this Kentucky team than any in decades. I mean, they're ranked in both preseason polls for just the fifth time in program history. They're ranked in the AP preseason poll. Um, it's been a long time since they, they'd even done that. The media this summer picked them second in the SEC East at media days. Uh, so there's a level of hype. Obviously, you talk about Will Levis with uh, all the first-round draft prospect mock draft lists. There's a, there's a level of hype around this program that we're just not really used to seeing in Lexington, but with that comes raised expectations. I mean, yes. so much of Mark Stoops' success has been about exceeding expectations, proving people wrong, playing with a chip on your shoulder, going in every summer and saying no one's respecting us. Well, that wasn't the case this summer. So when you go out in, in the opener against Miami, Ohio, and and frankly, they, they've generally been kind of flat in these openers before. Um, it's a game that most years is close around halftime. And then they pull away in the second half. That's what happened in 2018, for instance. They were up 21-20 on Central Michigan at halftime in the opener. Right. Ended up winning, I think, 35-20. People were, you know, not super happy with that performance. But then they went the next week and won at Florida and ended the 31-game losing streak to Florida a week later. So that has not always meant anything, really, for the long, long haul of the season. But when you have these higher expectations and you come in and – um, it was like 13-10 at halftime or something like that, and it yeah. was very close. They were trailing. A, a Miami, Ohio actually scored first, uh, just marched down the field in a way that didn't look to make the defense look great. There were rumbles about, okay, this is not what we expected. We thought you were going to go out and blow, blow out this MAC team. Right. So there's some of that, I think, this week, some, uh, some concern. The offensive line wasn't great. The run game struggled a little bit. How do those things translate when you go play a real SEC team, especially knowing what Florida did against Utah? So I, I think there's the excitement, the hype is still there, but that opening performance has led to some uh, some worries about this game in particular. Well, the great thing I think that Kentucky hasn't had in a long time that they do have is a big time quarterback prospect, yeah. a guy they think can be a you know a lot of NFL scouts think he'll be a high draft pick, a guy that Kentucky's always kind of I won't say struggled on offense but labored to put offense together. This guy can throw the ball. He can, you know, is a runner as well. Talk about him. Talk about Chris Rodriguez. Is he going to be? I know he was suspended week one. Is he going to be? What's the, what's the anticipation about his return? Obviously for the SEC opener. Yeah, I, to start with Chris, I would be surprised if he plays this weekend. Right. Uh, Mark Stoops is going to talk in a couple hours after we're recording this right now, and so he will supposedly address it again uh, all the reports all the information we're getting behind the scenes is it's going to be a multiple game suspension for an incident off the field they have not specified yet they're they're citing some you know uh, FERPA law and some student privacy stuff to uh, sure, sure. keep that out of the public for now but all indications are it's going to be multiple games so I don't think he's going to be back this week unless something crazy happens uh, which is obviously a huge question mark. I mean, he's the SEC's leading re returning rusher. Uh, Kentucky was not very good running the ball in the opener, but how much of that was they're trying to get the passing game going with a bunch of new receivers. They were holding some things back for Florida. They did right. not really let Will Levis run at all, which is one of his real strengths. We'll see how that translates to week two. But the easiest solution may be just let your first-round draft prospect quarterback throw it around a little more, which is what they did in, in the first game. We're not used to seeing Kentucky do that in Mark Stoops' tenure, A, because they haven't had the quarterbacks to do it, but B, he's just such a 
old school, run the ball, control the line of scrimmage, defense, uh, yep. win time of possession kind of coach, that that has been their blueprint for winning. So that was a, a very different thing to see. I mean, Will Levis threw for 300 yards and yep. three touchdowns in the opener and was a little disappointed in the way he played because he wasn't super accurate at times, missed a few throws. Right. But it looks like they have the, a, a number of receivers that are competent and can can be real threats for them in a way they haven't before. Stoops is the defensive guy. We know that the whole the whole Stoops clan, the, all the brothers. Obviously, you're facing a threat here with Anthony Richardson. We all saw what he did against Utah, able to make plays out of nothing. He was several times Utah had him bottled up. He was able to get loose with his legs, made a couple throws. You saw the unbelievable two point play where he spun out of the sure sack through a two point conversion. What do you think is Stoops good at that kind of stuff? As far as help, as far as I would say. When you when you know one guy is such a key on for for the, for the offense, Stoops has got a history of of being able to neutralize those kind of guys. Yeah, I mean, running quarterbacks have given them issues at times, but Mark Stoops would tell you, as he does every time that this topic comes up, that running quarterbacks give everybody issues, especially right. guys who are as talented as Anthony Richardson. That, that was the storyline every year when Kentucky played Lamar Jackson in Louisville when he was here. I mean, it was like, how do you stop Lamar Jackson? Well, you, well, you don't. I mean, he's going to get his, his yards out there. You just got to limit it in certain situations. Uh, the defensive scheme overall is interesting because a lot of times they play a style – where they're content to let teams kind of dink and dunk down the field and throw it underneath. That's Mississippi State, for instance, just destroyed them last year doing that in the air raid. Miami had a little bit of success, especially that first drive this week doing that. But they limit big plays. So if they can do that this week uh, against Anthony Richardson, Florida, I think they're okay. The biggest question, pass rush was not great last year. Um, they didn't get a great push against a, a Mac offensive line in the first week. Right. I would think to have a, any real chance of slowing him down and limiting him, they're going to have to get in the backfield occasionally. And even then, he can obviously make plays and, and elude pressure and, and still make things happen from broken plays. But if they're not getting a consistent pass rush, I think that's a, that's a bad sign this week. Talk about the special teams. Good kicker, good punter. What's the kicking situation? No, it's uh, that seems to be a real strength. Um, they got both their kicker and punter back for the extra COVID year this year. Uh, they, it's crazy. They actually have five scholarship kickers and punters on the roster, which is insane <laughs> in, in this day and age. But both their starters, Matt Ruffalo, the kicker, Colin Goodfellow, the punter, are former walk-ons. They just put them on scholarship to come back. They have scholarship recruits behind them who just lost the jobs to those guys. So right. uh, they're kind of sitting around. Uh, Ruffalo is a really steady kicker. Uh, he made three field goals in the first uh, first game. He's not got the strongest leg, but he did hit one from 50 yards pretty easily uh, over the weekend. So that's a strength. Goodfellow, the punter, didn't have his best performance by any means. So we'll see, you know, if that was a fluke or something going forward. But the real difference in special teams this year for Kentucky versus most years is they have two dynamic returners. And most most of the time in his tenure, Mark Stoops has played a conservative in those areas and just worried about not fumbling, keeping possession at the end of a return. Right. But Darion Brown, the freshman wide receiver from Nashville, returned a kick 100 yards for a touchdown. And the opener, Tavion Robinson, who's their top receiving threat uh, transfer from Virginia Tech, had a really nice punt return um, in the opener. But he, he, I think he returned two for touchdowns last year at Virginia Tech. He was an all-ACC returner. He's preseason all-SEC in some places at, kick, at punt returner. So both of those guys look like real weapons for Kentucky in a way that we're not used to them seeing in that part of the game. Well, John, great job, man. That's a, you, you got a, you got an exciting team to cover. Again, a lot of expectations in Lexington. 
Um, you know, this is a big game. If they can win this game, it, it will ca- definitely catapult them. Obviously, they're probably playing for second place in the East with Georgia. But if you win a game like this, you never know. You know, obviously, you have Tennessee is going to be another tough, tough contender in the East as well. So tell everybody where they can find your work online, sir. Yeah, it's uh, John Hale, J-O-N-H-A-L-E underscore H-L on Twitter. And uh, Kentucky.com is the website. Keep up the great work. You're going to be in the swamp Saturday night. I will be there. There you go, man. Bring, bring some, uh, get the humidity ready. It'll be warm, <laughs> sticky, sticky and warm. Yeah. Have a great trip. Good luck to the cats. And we will be right back on the Florida football insiders podcast. Thanks for listening to the Florida football insiders podcast as part of the college gridiron coast to coast podcast net- network. Please remember to subscribe rate and review if you've not already done so. And you can reach out to me on Twitter at jposports. Love to hear your comments and feedback about our episodes and any program suggestions moving forward. Check out our video interviews as well on my YouTube channel, Jason Powers Sports Channel. And we'll see you next week on the Florida Football Insiders Podcast.